This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's find out what's going on in the world of literature and the world of accessible literature with Center for Equitable Library Access Communications Manager, Karen McKay. Hey, Karen, great to chat with you once again. Happy Friday. Oh, my gosh. Happy Friday, indeed. (laughs) Hey, Karen, let's start off in the world of awards. You've always got the big winners for us. And last month, Mary Lawson was announced as the winner of the Forest of Reading Evergreen Award. Karen, I know we've talked about these awards before, but you always hit me with so many that sometimes I get them blurred in my head. What does this award recognize? So the Forest of Reading is a collection of awards, and we talk about it sometimes in the spring with the the kids' awards mm-hmm. and the young adults' awards. But mm-hmm. this is the yeah, this is the adult version. So um, the Evergreens are different because it's it's reader selected. So readers are invited to read a short list of books and vote on them, and then the winner is the sort of the popular choice. So this year, uh, Mary Lawson won for her novel. It's called A Town Called Solace. Why do you think A Town Called Solace was the one that ended up taking home the award? What made it so great? Well, it's this really sort of beautiful story about how three very characters from very different generations, how they come to know one another and support one another. It's a bit quirky. It's quite lovely. It was also recognized as um, a book on the 2021 Booker Prize long list. So it's got literary chops behind it. Um, but it's just a really beautiful novel about character development. It's got a little bit of a twist to it. Um, and I just, you know... Reader's Choice Awards are always interesting to me because it's kind of one of those insights into people like the big awards, but what are they actually reading? What are they falling in love with? And this is one of those books they fell in love with. Let's stay in the world of awards where Carol Ann Hilton was announced as the winner of the First Nations Community Reads in the adult category. What does her book, Indigenous, oh my gosh, I'm going to mispronounce this so poorly. Indigenomics Explorer. I, I should I should tell you, Karen, I practiced this five times this morning. And of course, I messed it up on air. Indigenomics. What does it explore? So it's a really interesting book, and I think it's one that's sort of new to the space. It's not something that we've seen in the literary world. So it speaks to the emerging Indigenous economy, which um, is built on the philosophies of Indigenous connection. It's built around relationships, multi-generational stewardship of resources, and a sort of an overarching care for all. It's not just the economic piece, it's the whole piece. And so she's brought this to a really interesting book. And the the whole idea behind the First Nations Community Reads, it's similar to kind of a Canada Reads situation. Um, librarians pick these books and, and they then are selected from a longer list. And so I, I think it's one of those books that, as I said before, I think it's missing from this space. And that's probably one of the reasons that that it's been uh, nominated or, or has been given this award, because it's a fresh take on something we really need to be talking about. You've always got really interesting books that you highlight here. And I keep this list going. And a couple of weeks ago, you sent me this email. Hey, did you end up reading the book you told me you were going to read? And I'm like, no, Karen, I don't have time. But again, in real time, I'm marking this down. I need to read Indigenomics. It sounds like a really, really fascinating read that could be really enlightening mm-hmm. for a lot of folks. Speaking of your recommendations, Karen, you've always got some great ones for us. And this week, we're actually using long lists of awards to offer up some of the 
context to offer up these SELA featured titles. So this week we're pulling from the Writers Trust Awards, which were held in person for the first time in three years, which people love. They love that they get to have these cocktail <laughs> parties back in person. So let's start with Shani Mutu, who received a, a, an award for her most recent novel, Polar Vortex. Yeah, so th- she actually got the Writers Trust uh, Angle Finley Award. So that's awarded to mid-career writers, sort of for their overall body of work. And her most recent one was Polar Vortex, and it was also longlisted for the 2020 Giller Prize. Um, that, so that's her novel. She's got a new book of poetry out, and it's called Cane Fire. We have both of those in our um, our collection, and she's um. um I'm going to call her a multimedia artist. She's a, a poet and she's a writer, but she also does a, um, like fine art. She, she's an artist in, in visual arts um, and she dabbles in film as well. So I, I love when artists sort of stretch themselves across different kinds of genres. And I think it brings a real richness to all of their work, their writing and their art. And so she's received this uh, award, which is $25,000, just to encourage uh, future sort of literary stars, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I like that. I like that idea of saying, hey, you're in the middle of your career. Here's a little boost. Get back in front of the typewriter yeah. and keep banging away. Don't worry about <laughs> uh, doing any 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 serving this weekend. You can do a little bit of writing. Yes. Let's uh, head over exactly. to Nicholas Herring, who won the Atwood Gibson Writers Trust Fiction Prize of $60,000 for his novel, Some Hellish. Yeah, so this is a really interesting novel. I think we spoke about it before. Um, so it's based on a really kind of a, a crazy premise. It's a bit fantastical, but or maybe metaphorical is a better description. So Harry is a hapless lo- lobster fisher. He's living a relatively unremarkable life. He's in a rut. He's kind of bored of thinking the same old thoughts. And then one December day, he's following this sort of crazy hunch, and he cuts a hole in his living room floor, and he installs a hoist. And that changed the course of everything in his life, as it would, right? So uh, his wife ends up leaving him with his with their children. He has to bury his family dog in a frozen grave on Christmas Eve. He and his friend Jerry crash their truck into a field, and they're rescued by a group of Tibetan monks, which is a little crazy. So, um, and then then the spring lobster season happens, and Herring and Gary find themselves caught in a storm. Herring falls overboard, and he's lost at sea for days. It's assumed that he's drowned, but then he's found miraculously alive. And he's, you know, he's had this near-death experience. So he has to come to terms with all of the sort of big questions in life, love and friendship and belief, um, anguish. It's it's a very funny book in places. Sometimes it's quite serious. Sometimes it's really heartbreaking. But it's really brilliant, and it sort of articulates um, the impacts of consequences of the choices he's made on his life. So I think it was a surprise winner, to be honest. Uh, but I think it's a it's a great read. Karen, I can I can tell why people might be really drawn to that one again about the way in action, actions and consequences in life. And I th- people love books like that that have a bit of a domino effect yeah. to them. Let's yeah, jump. It's... Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. Go. You go. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, it sort of recalls a little bit of Old Man in the Sea mixed with the life of Pi. Like, it's a bit of a crazy mix, but I think people will enjoy it. Very good. Karen, let's jump over to, to, to one that maybe might hit a little too close to home for folks who've been living their lives the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Werb yeah. won the $60,000 Hillary Weston Writers Trust Prize for nonfiction for his book, The Invisible Siege, The Rise of Coronaviruses and the Search for a Cure. 
Yeah, when I heard this one, one I thought, oh dear, um, you know, people might be uh, sort of have had their fill of COVID, but I think this is a really important book. So Dan Werb traces the rise of the coronavirus family through the last number of decades. He starts the book with Ralph Barrick, who began researching the viruses in the 1980s when they were basically just, they, you know, the worst they did was cause a, a common cold. But then we had the SARS epidemic and researchers realized that there were startling similarities between the SARS epidemic and historical moments in the past when coronaviruses made a deadly jump from animals to humans. And then about 10 years later, we had the MERS virus, and then they realized they were really running out of time, that that this was that we were heading towards a pandemic. So he walks us through the the research that they're doing, all of their investigative work. It, it really sort of illuminates how Barrick's team hatched a plan, not merely to battle COVID, but also to try and end pandemics forever. And through the story, we come to learn about the barriers and the roadblocks that the researchers encountered, the, the scientific ones, obviously, but also ones that were presented by ethical concerns, by industry and business constraints, and also by politics, and that these different barriers threatened to derail the efforts um, to, to solve this puzzle, just as COVID was really looming larger than ever. The book reads a little bit like a novel. We get to know these researchers and their history. It's dotted with familiar faces like uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Tam. And it's more than just a science exploration of the pandemic. It really weaves together all these interesting philosophical questions that I think need careful and informed consideration now that we're hopefully through the worst of this. Um, it also asks us to consider what might be next. So in the context of the, the science, which really it was a success story, right? We, we ended up with a, a vaccine fairly quickly and, you know, it mitigated some of the potential worst case scenarios. There's also this really infuriating situation where science might not be able to get us to the next step because of these barriers. So if you're if you've been walking around the last couple of years thinking, what is happening? This might be the book for you because I think it explains what's happening. There are so many times, Karen, when I'm banging the table on the air behind the scenes talking about based <laughs> in the real world, this is the definition of something that's based in the real world and the people can walk away with a tangible learning. This is what great writing is all about. And that's not yeah. to be dismissive of the last featured selection that you have here because this is also really important stuff. Halifax author Francesca Equa Asi was awarded the $10,000 Dane Ogilvie Prize for LGBTQ 2S plus emerging writers for their debut novel, Butter, Honey, Pig, Bread. Yeah, so I know we've talked about this one before because it is um, a, a very popular novel. It was on the 2020 Scotia Bank Gillery Prize list. It was on the 2021 Canada Reads uh, program. It's been a finalist for the uh, Governor General's Awards. Anyway, it's 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 a well-recognized book, and it's beautiful. So it tells the story of three Nigerian women. So there's Kambaranashi, and she has twin daughters, Kendi and Tay. And um, Kambaranashi believes that she is an obange. I hope I said that right. Which is a non-human spirit that plagues the family with misfortune, uh, and uh, by being born and then dying as a child and uh, as a child and causing harm and and um, hurts to mothers and families. So she makes this really rather unnatural choice to stay alive, to love her human family, but she lives in fear of the consequences of that decision. Her two daughters become estranged from her and from each other, and then ultimately they find their ways back to one another. And they have to confront and the, all of the issues of their of their relationships and reconcile with one another. It's 
it's a really beautiful book. It's very, I would say it's very essential. It's musical. It's lyrical. One of the reviews I read said that it's like a love letter to the time before COVID when we could could travel when we could sit in cafes and talk to one another when we could have intimate connections that you know that we have sort of had to be guarded from for the last little while and I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons why it won is because it's so beautiful and sensual and those some of those pieces have been missing in our lives for the last year I think it's a beautiful book and uh, I hope folks would pick it up well, Karen, I've been to two weddings in the last three weeks, so I can tell you these things are back and they're a lot of fun and it's great to have them back. <laughs> Karen, all the best to you. Thank you for featuring these titles for us today and thank you to you and your colleagues for all the work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That's Karen McKay, Communications Manager for the Centre for Equitable Library Access. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.